get our Bibles in our hands. Bless the Lord. And repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I will have what it says I will have. I'm a part of Deliverance Temple where we love by living our vision every day. We connect with our creator continually. Not every now and then, but continually. Amen. We confess our deliverance consistently. We commit to serve creatively. We communicate Christ's love compassionately. Father God, feed me this word. Come on, put your hands together. Glory to God. Let us bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father God, it is the time for the feeding of the word. God, you are the feeder. God, you have the message. I am just the vessel, so I'm asking that you would hide me beneath the cross that you would speak through my uh, mouth and that you would think through my mind, God. Let it be all of you, less of me. Let the people be eternally touched and blessed. Let them who have an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to your church. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. And let the people say, Amen. So we've been in a series that I didn't know was going to be in series, but I just haven't been able to let it go. And so... For lack of a creative word, we've been in a heart series. And so the first one was called a generous heart, generous heart. And the purpose of a generous heart was not to get money out of your pockets to the church, but to show you how when you open up your heart to the mercy of God and then you give generously that mercy to others, it affects every aspect of who you are. And then we moved from there and we talked about last week heart condition. And we talked about four conditions of the heart and we talked about a wayward, rebellious heart. Then we talked about a wavering heart, a heart that, that loses God as its first love. And then we talked about a returning heart and finally a repentant heart. And so we're looking for a heart that is always returning to God and is repentant. And is moving in the right direction. And so having said that in those two things, what we're going to talk about today is a holy heart. Somebody say a holy heart. A holy heart. We'll do it one more time. A holy, heart. a holy heart. Quite interesting that holiness is a major topic in churches everywhere. It's been for years but it's not always been taught properly. So what I want to do, I want to teach it from the scripture, but I also want to remind us, like we reminded you last week, just because we are a church of grace and deliverance doesn't mean that we don't want to achieve and have holiness, but we want it to be at the place it needs to be. We want it to be in the heart. To give you an example that would really help you understand, several years ago, well, it hasn't been that long ago, but some years back, there was a Flint water crisis. And we we heard about it, but many people don't understand the details of it. But basically, 
what the governor of Michigan decided to do. He decided to save money. He would switch the source of the Flint water from the source that it was to the Flint River. But the only problem with the Flint River versus the source that they had, and it was going to cause them to save a little money for the state. But the Flint River had more contamination in it than they were able to process out of it. So what happened is it contaminated the water source at its core. The problem also was is that wealthy and richer people had filtration systems. But poor people couldn't afford filtration systems So all the lead and stuff that was in the water came into the home and it caused a crisis. Even that governor was called before the courts and was lawsuits filed and America being America, they deemed him irresponsible, didn't cause him responsible. He was just trying to save some money for his state. And who knows where that kickback money went to. But the point was that he allowed the core of something to be contaminated. It, it, it's different if, if, if you allow one tree to be contaminated because we all don't live by that one tree. We all don't pass by that one tree. We all don't eat fruit from that one tree. But when you allow the core of something, the core of the water system to be possibly contaminated, then you cause so much trouble. But when we allow our heart, the core of who we are, when we allow it to be contaminated, it affects the rest of our life. And that's what the whole heart series has been about. It's been about our hearts, what we allow in our hearts, what we allow to set up in our hearts, because it affects the entire life that we have. And if you are rotten at the core, you're going to be rotten everywhere else. Before long, don't care how nice you drive and don't care how good you eat. Don't care how big your house is. I don't care what kind of clothes you wear. If you're rotten at the core before long, you're going to be rotten. So we don't want that. So we're going to continue going in this vein. And like I said, these messages are not necessarily easy messages or shouting happy messages, but they're they're very important messages because we keep talking about God. We want you to bless us. But God, if God blesses us and our hearts messed up, then guess what? We're going to mess up the blessing. So we want them to take care of this. Let, let's, let's look at a definition for holy. We're going we're gonna to spend some time with some definitions. And this is going to help me get to where I'm going. Holy, dedicated or consecrated to God or uh, it's supposed to say for a religious purpose. Sacred. Devoted to the service of God. Now, not much has been talked about in churches about that portion of the definition. It's this latter portion of the definition that most people talk about. So let's bring the definition back up, and I'm going to read the last sentence. It says, morally and spiritually excellent. This is where most preachers preach from, especially what we call holiness preachers. They preach about moral and spiritual excellence, but me being me, that's not where I'm going with this message. And the reason why, because we belong to Deliverance Temple, 
We don't have morally excellent folk in Deliverance Temple. We, we come from all kinds of stuff. So even though it's part of the definition, it's not what I want to focus on because I actually believe I can prove it to you by scripture. That's not even what God is thinking about when he brings up holiness in our lives. Let's go back to the definition again. I'll read it in its entirely entirety and then I'm going to keep breaking it down to get you where I want you to uh, go. So dedicated or consecrated to God or a religious purpose, sacred, devoted to the service of God. What I'm trying to submit to you is that is the holiness we're after. Not so much the moral and spiritual excellence. What's wrong with being morally and spiritual excellent? There's nothing wrong with that. That is good. But if we're honest, that's not that achievable in this day and age. And some people say, well, you're letting down the standard. No, I'm going to prove to you by scripture why I say it's not that achievable. So what I'm trying to point out to you that what I write, what I would rather you focus on is being dedicated and consecrated to God. Really, the word holy means set apart. So when you walked in the doors today, you committed an act of holiness. Because you set a part of your day, a part of your time, and you reserved it for God. You could be doing anything else, but you decided to come to the house of God. That is a holy act. And what I don't want to do is when you come here beat you up and tell you you're not holy enough and tell you your dress isn't long enough and you got too many tattoos and you smell like this and you smell like that and miss the fact that the part that you brought yourself to the house of God with all your issues, all your troubles, that is a holy act because you set it apart for God. And somebody say, well, I didn't set it apart for God. I came because I'm a mess. But that's holy too. Because you're understanding this is where my help is. I, I, I just happened to be in the back uh, uh, using our, uh, our, our equipment to get us ready for going on live on Facebook. And because I am a, the controller of the Deliverance Temple thing as well as Andre Mitchell, my my messages from uh, Andre Mitchell and uh, Deliverance Temple, they show up on the same screen. So I was doing something back there, and I just so happened to run past and see Miss Reva, who uh, hasn't been able to be here for a while, and seeing that she posted that there's no place she would rather be. In other words, she's saying, I, I, I've had to miss church for a while, but I'm glad to be in the house of God because there's something holy about me giving my time to God and being with other people worshiping God. That is a holy act. And when we begin to understand that, many of us are more holy than we understand because we've been setting apart time for God. Not just coming to church, but some of y'all are so crazy when you leave here, you have a prayer time with God. When you leave here, even though I'm not preaching to you, some of y'all will listen to the sermon again. And some of y'all will read the Bible again. Don't you understand? That is holy. And the reason why the devil attacks you the way he attacks you and tries to keep you from church and keep you from God and keep you from prayer is because when you're operating holy like this from your heart, the core of you is right and it'll affect everything else. 
So somebody would say, well, I, I, Pastor, I, I'm not altogether right. I got some issues. But what I'm saying, if I can get you right in the heart, I can affect the issues down the line. So I need you to understand it's important to have a holy heart. A heart that's set apart for God. That said, God, I want you to use me. I may not be the best, but God, I want you to use me. God, I want you to touch me. God, I want you to bless me. If you don't bless me, I don't want to be blessed. I I don't want to get it my own way. I don't want to do it my own way. God, I want your way. That is holy. Holy, holy, holy. All right. So, so I said that. So let's look at what unholy means. It should be the opposite of what I just said, but look at what the definition. Now I'm using the same de- definitions. I believe uh, they, they come out of, of Webster's, but it says sinful and wicked. But it don't say anything about no longer being set apart for God. It just says sinful and wicked. I have a problem with that definition, and the only reason why I have a problem with that definition. Is because it's too close to another definition. And what I want to show you is that much, many people don't understand what unholiness really is. They've got it confused with something else. And I'm going to prove it to you. I want to go to another word that I think is important for us to understand. Let's look at this word. This is the word righteous. Righteous says morally right or justifiable virtuous. It's very akin to the last part of that other holy definition being morally or spiritually excellent. So here's what I'm trying to submit to you. Many people are confusing holiness with righteousness. It's not the same. Righteousness is being right. Holiness is being set apart. But many people say if you do something wrong, they will say you are unholy. But I'm trying to show you that they don't quite understand the fullness of God's word. And I'll prove it to you in just a minute because you know I'm going to go to the Bible. I ain't just making stuff up. We're going to go to the Bible. But I want to show you that having a holy heart is more than just doing everything right. Because if it was, none of us would have a holy heart. If we got to dot every I and cross every T, we would not have a holy heart. And somebody said, well, Pastor, no, I've been doing pretty good. No, I'm not talking about what you did. I'm talking about what you thought about doing that you didn't do. See, that would make you unholy if we're looking at this definition. Anything, any thought that's sinful, any any, uh, thought that's wicked would make you unholy. So so let me me pick on Lady Devin. Lady Devin is married, been married 22 years, but when she saw LL Cool J lick his lips and she got excited, she was unholy. When I watched Holly Berry walk the red carpet, in other words, what I'm saying is that just the simple things would contaminate us if we don't understand God. So there's a difference between unholiness and unrighteousness. There's a difference between righteous and holy. So let's, let's see what unrighteousness means. Bring this up. It says, not righteous, Wicked. 
That's almost the very same definition they use for unholy. So it can't be the same thing. It says not righteous or wicked. Unholy said sinful or wicked. So which one is it? Is it both? I want to prove to you that what people are looking at and calling unholy is really unrighteousness. And holiness is really being set apart. It's really being sacred. So in other words, you can do something unrighteous and still be set apart. Because you, what you do is you acknowledge that it was unrighteous. And you get back to being set apart. And so that makes you holy. Give you a quick example. So, uh... Uh, just see Jasani Walkins. I'm going to use her for example. Let's say Jasani is an adult and she steps on my brand new Jordans. Now I'm mad at Jasani. She did that on purpose. What's wrong with her? What's she thinking? Stepping on my brand new Jordans. And so now, that is an unrighteous thought. That is, a, that is an unrighteous way of being. But something convicts me and say, why are you acting like that? They're just shoes. Man, Maybe she didn't mean it on purpose. You, you you need to get yourself together. So now what is happening, my holiness is kicking in and it's trying to correct and reverse my unrighteousness. But here's the thing. The devil tries to tell you because you thought the thought you are unholy. No, you are unrighteous. But the Holy Spirit says, if you listen to me, I'll keep you holy. I'm going to keep on working this thing because I, I, I got somewhere to go. So, so. So I want you to have a holy heart, but I'm not talking about you're going to do everything right. But do I need to do things right? Yeah, you do. I'm not a pastor that telling you you need to just go out and be wicked and sinful. But what I'm trying to show you is that being wicked and sinful is not unholy. It's actually unrighteous. Well, will unrighteousness lead to unholiness? It sure enough will. Yeah, oh, if you stay in unrighteousness... It will cause you to be unholy. Let, uh, unholy. Let me go back to the example I just used. My, my, my wife is watching LL lick his lips. And she, she got excited, but she ain't going nowhere. She just turned the television off. So guess what? She's still a Mitchell. But let her go over to his house and get caught. And I divorce her. She's no longer a Mitchell because she stayed in that unrighteousness until it cost her her holiness. So what I'm trying to show you is the reason why I don't beat you up about every mistake is because if I encourage you, you might get back to your holiness. But if you stay in it, you're going to lose what you already have. So when I say I want you to have a holy heart, I'm not telling you that you got to do everything right. But what I'm saying is when you are found in unrighteousness, you, like we talked about last week, you repent. You return. Or you adjust. Or or, or you, 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 you try to fix because you, you begin to understand, I can't keep doing this. Let me give you another just a simple example. I, I learned a long time ago that in order to go to Chicago from Muncie, there's two ways. That's a couple ways you can go. The, you, you, you can go uh, north 26, west, and go up 65. You can go 28 west and go up 65. Or you can actually go 69 south. 
which is weird because in order to go to Chicago from Muncie, you got to go north, but Indianapolis is south. But the thing about going the Indianapolis way is the traffic moves so fast, you actually can make up time by going south on uh, uh, 69, but at some point, you got to eventually go back north. Because if you don't, you're going to end up, see, if you get on 65 from 69 and stay south, you're going to end up in Louisville. Louisville is far from Chicago. You keep staying south on 65, you're going to end up in Tennessee and, and down. In other words, at some point, you have to make that turn. And what I'm trying to prove to you, let me, let me back up a little bit. I don't want to go too fast. So the first time we went that direction, I was following my father-in-law. And I was falling behind him and I'm like, my goodness, I don't know what to, what to do. This is before cell phones. I don't know what to do, but to tell him, you going the wrong way, brother, cause we, we supposed to be going to Chicago and we heading down to Indianapolis. But at some point I seen him make that turn and we shot up north and we were, we got there faster than what we would have had we went the little small two lane highway. So I learned a lesson. Sometimes you can get there faster going the wrong way. Here's the point I'm making. Sometimes God allow you to do something unrighteous to show you that if you trust me, I can turn it around and move you in the right. But if you refuse to listen and keep going in the wrong direction, it will cost you. So that's not what we want to do. But guess what? I'm assuming since you at church, you ain't planning on going in the wrong direction. So I'm going to speak to you about a holy heart and let you know that you are holy. I know your, your I know your dress ain't long as other folk, but you're holy. I know sometimes you have said things that you shouldn't have said, but you're holy. See, back in the day, we couldn't do nothing because we wanted to be holy. You better not watch no R-rated movie. But some of my favorite movies was R-rated. So how am I going? I learned that my holiness is not in my doing. But I learned that because we're talking about a holy heart, I learned that I can do things, but I got to make sure those things don't set up in my heart. One of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. One of my favorite movies. Wait, wait a second. Wait one second. Oh, my. Somebody almost had an unholy thought in church. But one one of my favorite movies from him is Training Day. And he totally flips the script from what we were used to seeing him do. He acts a monkey in that movie. And I love it because it shows me his acting ability. But even though I love it, that don't mean I can act like that. I can watch it and I can learn from it. But I can't allow it to be in my heart. When, when, when I first got saved, for several years, I couldn't listen to Jodeci. Because Jodeci took me too far back from where I used to be. Now, I couldn't tell everybody else they couldn't listen to Jodeci. But for me, it was affecting my heart, the forever my ladies. And come and talk to me. Oh, my goodness. It, it would do something to my heart. And so since I was trying to work on my righteousness from God, I couldn't listen to it because it would affect my heart. 
But that didn't, that does not make it necessarily, that didn't make me unholy. It's just me learning what is best for my heart. I love bacon. I mean love it. I love the smell of it, the taste of it. But the older I get, the more I realize even though I like it, it's not good for my heart. So when I went to the doctor and they told me my blood pressure was up, guess what? I can't eat ribs all day because it will affect my heart. Eating ribs is not unholy, but it will affect my heart. Listen to a song that has cussing in it. It's not necessarily unholy, but if you listen too long, it could affect your heart. So when we talk about holiness, we're not talking about being perfect and you can't do nothing, but we're saying protect your heart. There you go. All right, let's look at Romans 5, 13 to 19. Let's go through the scripture and and I kind of got, got ahead of myself a little bit, but I'm going to slow down right here. Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Well, at least one thing we do know is that it, it wasn't our fault to begin with. It was that raggedy Adam and Eve to begin with. So at least it wasn't our fault to begin with. You know, you got Raggedy Ann and Andy, no Raggedy Adam and Raggedy Eve. It's y'all fault. But let's, let's continue to read verse 13. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. This is interesting that the scripture makes a very important statement that many times we miss as pastors preachers when we talk about people and we talk about sin now some people say that some preachers have gone soft on sin and i'm not a preacher that's soft on sin but what the scripture says that sin is not accounted when there is no law let, let me give you an example so if i was to drive my car on the autobahn the autobahn is a german highway that has no speed limits they can't pull me over and give me a speeding ticket because there is no speeding limit. So where there is no law, you can do what you want to do. It's your thing. Yeah. You can, you can do what you want to do. So, so what, what is the scripture saying? So let, let, let's, let's read some more because I, I need to understand what God is actually saying. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So he makes an appointment, uh, makes a statement that where there is no law, there's really no sin. But then he turns around and says, but from Adam to Moses, where there was no law, because the, the law comes at Moses, people still died. So they still had consequences even though there was no law. So since we're in a grace message and a grace church, we don't go around beating you up for sin. You sinning. You sinning. Jasmine, you're going to hell. You sinning. I, just, I can look at your face and tell. Listen, them old preachers, they, they, they send you to hell in a minute, bro. Just, just look. Your eyelashes too long. You're going straight to hell. I mean, goodness. So we don't do that here. But just because we don't do that doesn't mean there's not consequences for actions. 
Paul said death still showed up even though there was no law. So we, we, we got to study this some more. Let's, let's see what happens in verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. If you know anything about Romans 5, it's contrasting what they call the first Adam and the last Adam. The last Adam is known as Christ. The first Adam was Adam. So the scripture says this. It says that when Adam sinned, we all were constituted as sinners. Or the many was constituted because of what Adam done. But what people forget to say is the same thing happened when Jesus came. Just how everybody was concluded a sinner because of Adam. When Jesus came, everybody is now concluded righteous. And the scripture says it is now, it is a gift. But what, ha- what has to happen to a gift? It has to be received. See, a gift can be rejected or it can be received. All right, let's go a little, little deeper. Verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Oh, man, I wish I could just dig into this, but I've got a lot I need to get to. But what's so beautiful about this, it says that God gives us a free gift that leads to our being made right with him. So you could not dot every I, not cross every T, and it still caused you to be a better person in the long run because God is so good and his gift is so great. Let me tell you something that, that I did and the reason why I'm, I'm pausing right now and I wish I could do more is that uh, on Wednesday when I was thinking about my father and the anniversary of the one year of his passing, I just decided to pull up on YouTube some of his messages and just start playing them in the car to listen uh, to them, and one that happened to have one of the most views was called the righteousness of God. And I just listened to my dad talk about the righteousness of God, and and he was one one of the men that had a revelation of it before a lot of people, because they were still talking about all the do's and don'ts. And he was talking about you're not right based on what you do or don't do; you're right based on what you receive, because righteousness is a gift. All right. Let's go to verse 17. It explains it even even in more detail. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. Oh, man. For all who receive it. All who do what? Receive it. Do what? Receive it. Okay, we'll continue to read. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death. Through this one man, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say all who receive it will never sin. It says all who receive it will triumph over the sin because they're locked into Jesus Christ or they're set apart 
for Jesus Christ. They're made holy through Jesus Christ. So yes, they may still be tempted to sin. And yes, they may still fall in sin. And yes, sin may still show up. But sin won't have dominion over them. They'll be able to triumph over sin. Why? Because at their core, they are holy. And the reason why they remain holy is they receive the free gift of righteousness that comes from the grace of God. So you're looking at a holy man. And I'm looking at some holy men and some holy women, not because of what you've done, but because of who you serve. And as long as you choose to serve him, God will deal with the sin if you will let him. Now, if you're going to hide, if you're going to lie, if you're going to fake the funk, then you're going to get whatever you got coming to you. But if you're honest and say, God, I'm a mess without you. God, I can't do this without you. God, I got some appetites that are out of control. I I got some anger issues, some bitter issues. God, I need you to get in my heart. I know I can fool the saints, but between me and you, God, I want to receive your righteousness because I don't want to die like this. I I don't want to be like this. God, change me. God, help me. God, fix me. God, deliver me. The problem with the old church is they had all these outward do's and don'ts, but inside they were still jacked up. They had long dresses and big hats, but they would gossip you up and down their aisle because even though they had the big hats and the outward, their hearts were not holy. And what we don't want to do, we don't want to fake the fuck. God, if any part of me is holy, let it be the core of who I am. Let it be my heart, God. God, I got some heart conditions. God, I want a generous heart. God, I want a holy heart. Uh, I'm going to touch on it later. Actually, I'll wait wait until later. I'll I'll get to that. I'm going to give you a quick example of that. But let's look at Romans 5, 18 and then 5, 19. Read both of those. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God And a new life for everyone. Let me just say something real quick. We've always talked about the apple or the fruit. The Bible never calls it an apple, but let's just say that because that's what people say. We've always talked about the apple. Man, if Eve would have ate the apple and Adam would have ate the apple. But the scripture says that one act, it caused trouble for all of us. But it also says the one act of of the cross caused blessing for all of us. But we forget that the cross is more powerful than the apple. It it actually brought righteousness to everyone. But here's the thing, not everybody knows it. And it's our job in the church to tell them that they're righteous based on the cross, but because we don't know our Bible, we're too busy talking about silly stuff. Trish, I heard listen, I heard some rap music coming out of Trish Carr. I know she ain't got no I know she ain't got nothing. She can't. Now, she could have been listening to Christian rap, but you're so gospel. You're so into the do's and don'ts instead of telling people, listen, God has paid the price. That's one of the things we try to do in Deliverance Temple is show people that, listen, it's not as hard as as people have made it. All you have to do is receive. Let's look at that 19th verse. This explains it so beautifully. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. 
But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous. Now, now, now let me tell you something about, about translation. Because translation comes from humans, sometimes humans mess up translation a little bit. Let, put that verse back up in transparency. I'll read it real quick. I just want to touch on something. It says, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But that's not true. The truth is, because one person disobeyed God, all became sinners. The scripture says we all became sinners because of that one mistake of Adam and Eve. But because one other person obeyed God, it shouldn't say many, all will be made righteous. But here's the caveat, if you receive. It's all yours if you receive it. Here's the thing. If I buy a thing of grapes at uh, Walmart. I go and I, I buy a thing of grapes. All them grapes are mine. Now, as if I'm transporting the grapes and some of them fall on the ground and they roll on the ground, those are still my grapes because I paid for all of them. But some of them fell through the crack. Now, if if uh, someone drives by and runs over that grape and I can no longer use it, it's still my grape because I pay for them all. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. Jesus paid for everybody, but not everybody's going to make it. Some will fall through the cracks. I don't believe Hitler going to make it. Somehow he fell through the cracks, but Jesus paid for him too. He paid for everyone. So it's our job to tell the folk who are still hanging on the vine, hang on, because he bought all of us. Instead of being a real deep Christian and we try to pluck folk off and throw them away. Nah, I can't got a use for them. They look too gay for me. Can't take a use for them. Because we know, we know we can't have no homosexuals in God. But but if God ain't throwing them away, why are you throwing them away? He paid for them all. And guess what? When I get my grapes home, you know what I do when I get to the house? I wash them. That's why we come to the house of the Lord so we can be washed and clean. I'm not better than them. I'm just washed. And we're trying to tell the world he paid the price. You just need to get washed. You just need to hang on the vine and get washed. All right, let's, let, let, let's move on. Let's, let's, Let's put this definition back up, and we're not going to read it in its entirety, but we're going to look what I did. I struck through the morally and spiritually excellent, because what that means is righteousness and unrighteousness, but what God has done, he's given us the free gift of righteousness. So holiness for us is deeper than do's and don'ts. It has to be. So let's put up uh, point number one. I'll read this to you. Here's my point number one. New Testament holiness is not, N-O-T, not about being morally right. Because that is an ongoing gift we receive. However, it is about using this righteousness to reign in life instead of succumbing to life. In other words, we use the free gift of righteousness so that we grow and become better people. It's not so that we never make a mistake, but we use the mistakes to become better. Even Jay-Z said every loss was a lesson. So what we do, we use the righteousness and we make those things lessons instead of losses. 
But if you just want to do your own thing, then the loss will be the loss. God is a gentleman. He, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. So he's not going he's not going to do anything that you don't want him him uh to do. He's not going to force you. So listen, th- this is what I I'm, I'm I'm trying to show you. So since you're in a church that we don't beat you up about sin, if you want to keep a bunch of sin going on in your life, that's your prerogative. But don't come blaming us when stuff don't go right. Amen. You want to sell dope? Go ahead do it. But when you get locked up, Don't be like, well, God wasn't good to me. No, God was good. He was so good. He caused you to get locked up so you wouldn't die in the street. But you kept doing the wrong thing. It doesn't mean that that person is no longer saved. They just were not allowing the righteousness of God to work in their life. And what we want to do, we want to have a holy heart and say, it's God, I don't want to stay in an unrighteous pattern too long because it does not reflect the goodness of God. If I say all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so, so good, then I ought to do some things that are in line to show everybody else that God is good. So if I come up to Will in the street and smack him in the face and say, well, you need to uh, turn the other cheek, I'm not really operating in righteousness. I'm operating in foolishness. So so if you take the grace message and you just want to do what you want to do, Listen, go ahead and do it. But let me tell you something. That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. You should take that message and allow it to wash you. Let me give you another example. Let's say I run. I'm going to keep picking on Devin today. Let's say I run Devin's bathwater. I got candles around there. I got bubbles in there. I run her bathwater. And then she goes in there and she takes a spoon out of the bathwater and starts eating it like soup. That is a little bit ignorant, sweetheart, because that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it was to wash you. So the purpose of God's righteousness is to wash you. And if you don't get in the tub when he's provided everything for you, you're the dumb one. So take what God has provided and take a dip in the bath and let God wash you. Now, some of y'all hardworking women, y'all know how nice it is just to lay in a bathtub and just relax and just let your, your fingers be wrinkled, your toes be wrinkled. You be in there so long and the candles go out, but it's relaxing because it's been there for you. It's there to take care of you. And I've learned that God's righteousness is there to take care of me. I'm not trying to do stupid stuff. I want to bathe in his righteousness and take what God has made available to me. All right. Got got to keep moving on because I've given too much to that. So let's add this. This really bring it home for us. Romans 5, 17 in the New International Version says it this way. We're going back. We already read 17. We're reading in a different version. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reign in life. We will reign in life. We, we, we call him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we're supposed to use the grace and the righteousness to actually reign in life. But once again, if we do a lot of stupid stuff, then our life won't look like a reigning life. It will look 
kind of rough. And let's just be honest. I, I, I hate to say it, but sin is hard on the face. And what I mean by that, I, I met people that I knew was 55, 57, 58. And they say, how old are you? I say, I'm 46. They say, oh, I'm 33. 33? Jesus, what you been doing with your life? That's what I want to say. But let me tell you something. Wrong decisions will affect your body. It'll affect your face. It'll affect your mental capacity. So, so it's something that we don't want. Any of us who've been addicted and caught up, we know it's no fun. The world is no fun. The devil is no fun. Bondage is no fun. So the fact that God delivered me, guess what I'm doing? I'm running. I'm coming. And when I do mess up, I'm not staying down. I'm running back to you, Jesus, because God, I can't do this without you. Ooh, I don't mean to get on this, but let me, let me say this. I've never in my life, thanks to God, thanks to God, not thanks to me, thanks to God. I've never in my life been preaching in a place and had to look out in the audience and say, oh shoot, I slept with her, so I, I, let me talk on this side. God spared me because I got married at 23 and I've been with my wife the whole time. And so that didn't make me better than somebody else. But guess what? It makes it easy for me to pastor knowing I ain't been with all the women in the church. It makes it easier on me. It makes it easier on you knowing that all the kids in the church don't look like your pastor. It doesn't make another pastor wrong. I'm just saying there's an easier way. And the high holy way is the easier way. Now there's a lot of stuff I haven't done, but there's some stuff I have done. And I've made my life harder by doing my own thing. So let's, let's really talk about what holiness is then. So let's, let's, let's turn another corner that's really will help us understand. Because remember, we're, we're coming from the mindset of reigning in life. So point number two. There's only three points. I know I, I, I kept the first point so low in the sermon. Y'all like, oh, God, we're going to be here long. No, it's only three points. So point number two, New Testament holiness is uncommonness and New Testament unholiness is commonness. They'd be like, okay, pastor, I was with you, but you done lost me now. I, I, what, what do you mean New Testament holiness is uncommonness and New Testament unholiness it's commonness. I, I don't quite get what you're saying. Let's go back to definitions. Let's, let's look at the word uncommon. Put that word up. It means out of the ordinary, unusual, unusual, and like this, remarkably great. That's what it means to be uncommon or unique or set apart. Let, let me give you a quick example that, to help you understand that. So I, I was at a conference in, at the uh, middle of September, and I was working with the pastors, working the altar, and I uh, they asked me to anoint the whole left side of the church, and another pastor was anointing the whole other uh, right side of the church. So I went and I was anointing people with the oil that was provided. But the oil that they had provided was not just olive oil. It had a scent to it. 
that was good. And I knew what was going on. I didn't even ask the pastor. But actually in the Bible, there's actually a recipe for what they use for the anointing oil. And in my head, I thought at some point, I would like to actually make the recipe for the anointing oil, if at all possible. And, and a lot of those things we don't use today. So, so I took some time last night, and I've got these two bottles of oil because we, we were we we're giving out oil for some people who are connected to the ministry who don't live in Muncie. We were giving out oil, but the remainder bottles, I decided I'm not just going to use olive oil. I'm actually going to set apart time. I'm going to find a recipe that's akin to the Old Testament, and I'm actually going to cook a batch of olive oil. Now, it doesn't make it any better. It's just that I made it more sacred because I took more time. I had to go to the store. I had to look up. Now, I always pick on Target, so I try to give Target a chance. Target didn't have what I was looking for. So I went on to trusty Walmart, and Walmart had what I needed. But I had to leave my home and go there and I had to look and I was looking at it. I was looking at the recipe. Then I went home and what is in it, it's, it's uh, olive oil, it's frankincense, there's myrrh in there. there, there is cinnamon in there, there's actually spices. I actually cooked it up. So what I'm saying is what I did, I made it uncommon. We normally just use olive oil and bless it, there's nothing wrong with it. But I took it a step up and I made it extraordinary. I made it remarkably great. I took some time with it. What it means to be holy and uncommon is you take time with your spiritual life. You take time researching the scriptures to know what God wants out of me. I don't want to know what God wants for Hattie. That's for Hattie. I want to know what God wants for me. So I'm getting in the word. I'm spending time. I'm connecting with my creator continually because I want to be uncommon. I want to be unique. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be a cut above and that takes time. But what that is, that is actually holiness. Let's look at what common. Look at, look at common. This is really interesting. Let's look at the word common. Occurring, found or done often, prevalent, shared by, coming from, or done by more than one of relatively minor importance. Let's get some synonyms here. Let's look up uncommon synonyms. Marked, remarkable, extraordinary, exceptional, outstanding, notable, noteworthy, distinctive, significant, special. That's what uncommon means. Let's look at common synonyms. Ordinary, normal, typical. Average, unexceptional, I like this, run-of-the-mill, widespread, popular, mainstream. But look at these other ones, uncouth, unsophisticated, vulgar. So unholiness is actually when you take which is uncommon and you make it common. There are, and I don't mean to... To get on people, I, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm just, I'm just talking prophetically. But there are quote unquote holiness churches that are so common, you can't find any anointing. And what I mean by this, they gonna get up, they gonna sing, we're a soldier in the army of God. They gonna sing, uh, another song that everybody knows. Somebody gonna say, first giving honor to God who's ahead of my life. And the same three folk gonna shout. 
the same folk gonna speak in tongues, the message is gonna be about everybody going to hell, and then they're gonna leave. That's common. Anybody can go and get that. Now, if that is the church's assignment, that's different. But in most cases, a lot of churches are just stuck doing the run-of-the-mill routine thing. I want a experience that is a cut above. I don't want you pulling off no message off of the internet that you done looked up three minutes before you got ready to preach. No, I want you to study. I want you to be uncommon. I, I want to feel something supernatural. I, I want to feel some power. I don't want to hear the same tongues I've been hearing for 24 years. You mean you've been speaking in tongues 24 years and it sounds the exact same? To the point where the kids can mimic you and know exactly what you're going to say. They can set their clocks. They know when you're going to get up, when you're going to buck. That is common. I want a move of God that everybody has to say, God, that was the Lord. I, I've never seen it happen like this. I've never felt nothing like this. I want something uncommon, unique, extraordinary. And that's what it means to be holy. So here's the thing. To have a holy heart, you can't allow all the common stuff in. Amen. There's some stuff you can't let in. Let, let, let's look at 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. This will help us understand what it means to push for that holy heart. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. I'm not saying that you shouldn't exercise self-control. That's Bible. Yes, exercise self-control, but put all your hope in the gracious salvation that's going to come. So in other words, if I'm doing something that I think is going to jeopardize my salvation, whether it will or not, I need to stop doing it. Because it doesn't reflect me being uncommon. And holy and set apart. If I'm acting like everybody else or, or what one uh, definition or synonym was, was widespread. If I'm doing what's popular, you can't always do what's popular. Let me talk to you young folk for a second. You can't always do what's popular. I get on my son Draylon all the time and I asked him, are you a leader or are you a follower? I don't care what everybody else is doing. I, you, you're not like everybody else. You're unique. You're extraordinary. You're remarkable. You are built to be great. Don't do what everybody else does. I want you to be different. And God is saying to have a holy heart, we can't do what everybody else does, including church. We can't just do what everybody does. And like I said, I, I don't mean to be jumping on people, but, but, I've been watching, especially the first of the year, so many churches go on a Daniel fast. And it's done in such a way that it almost feels like it's no longer a consecration. It's just the fad that we're going through. But it's because this is what we do. This is the way we go to church, go to church. January 1st, the Daniel fast, the Daniel fast. There's nothing wrong with that if that's what God is leading you to do. But too many of us are just doing what everybody else is doing. What does God want you to do? And the reason why I haven't called a fast and deliverance temple is not because you shouldn't fast, but I want you to know what God wants you to do. I want you to be in relationship with God. I don't want you to be the common run-of-the-mill Christian. I want you to have a relationship with God for yourself. 
so much so that you actually hear the voice of God for the ministry. Pastor Andre, God's been dealing with me about something that I think all of Deliverance Temple should try it because I, I've got a relationship with God. If the only time you talk to God is while you're in church, I love you, but you're not really helpful to me. I'm trying to build uncommon people. I'm trying to build extraordinary people. I'm trying to build great people. I'm trying to build people that will think I could preach you happy every Sunday, but I want thinking believers. I, I want people who are intelligent. I, I want people who can make a difference in the earth. So you have to be uncommon. And that's what it means to be holy. Let's, let's read some more of what Peter says. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy now, I believe in they, all you do. I believe they skipped a verse. Go to verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Listen, you're saved now. You're a part of God now. Yes, you did some stuff and we're not beating you up for it, but you are in ignorance. Don't go back to what you were doing when you were in ignorance. Yeah. Yeah, you slept with him, but you was, you, you was, you was low. Your self-esteem was low. You didn't know what was going on and, and you got tricked. But now that you know better, don't go back to him. Don't, don't you do it. Be better than that. Don't, don't fall for the okie doke. Do better. Be better. Not because it makes you a bigger, better Christian. It's just better for your heart. It's better to get out of some of the beds you've been in. Because they wasn't doing you no good. Everything that feel good to you ain't good for you. Some stuff will have your mind so messed up, have you, you in such tra- trauma. And some of y'all women, listen. Whew, let me not say it that or the way I was going to say it. But his package ain't that good for all the trauma you got to go through. You gotta say, no, I'm, I'm not, I am not going through that. I refuse to go through that. It's not worth it. It's not worth the pain. And what is hard is when you counsel people who've been crying and snotting and you pick them up, you get them in the right direction and they end back up in the same stuff. It doesn't make them bad people. It just means they're not using their noggin. So we gotta, we gotta do better. Not because it makes us more righteous, cause righteousness is a free gift. But here's the thing, we want to take the gift and make the most of the gift. I use it all the time. If you give me a car and then I just have a whole bunch of bird poop on my car and then you look at it and I haven't done anything about it, it would make you feel bad about giving the gift. I should have gave the gift to somebody else, somebody who would appreciate it. So appreciate the gift of righteousness by allowing yourself to be washed, by doing better, by, by going the extra mile because it does the body good. They used to tell us milk does the body good. Guess what? Being uncommon will do the body good. Read, read verse 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Read verse 16. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. All right, I'm going to read this. Just This is out of the Message Bible. I've used it so many times, I won't even talk about it because I'm running out of time. But look, just look in the uh, Romans 12, 1, 2 in the Message Bible. It shows us how to stay uncommon. Let's bring these two scriptures up right under Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Take the ordinary and offer it to the extraordinary. The next slide. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the cultural around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. In other words, instead of allowing the world to bring you down, you keep rising to the top. All right, here's... Number three, point number three. I have some other verses that I need to get through. Point number three, New Testament holiness begins with what's allowed in your heart. Proverbs 4.23, read this, is self-explanatory. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Like the center of the water in Flint, it's so important. So guard your heart. All right, let's go back to 1 Peter 2. I mean, uh, 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Oh, that's why we talk about love so much. It says you were cleansed from your sins. Yeah, you got sins, but you were cleansed from them. So how do you show God you are grateful for him cleansing you from your sins? Is you keep love in your heart. Let's, go, let's look at verse 23. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So it's eternal life we're after. Go, let's look at verse 24. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. Next verse. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So guess what? What I'm preaching to you every Sunday, the good news, that's what you want to hold on to. And that's what you want to keep in your heart. Because it's going to take you from the mistakes. It's going to take you to grow. Don't happen overnight. I'm still in the process. But guess what? Your reputation will be, at least that's a person that's following after God. All right, 1 Peter 2, I'm going to read the rest of these verses and then we'll close from here. 1 Peter 2, 1 says this, as Peter keeps going on. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. It don't say nothing about sex in there. It really doesn't. Don't say nothing about drunkenness. But what it talks about is the things that will cause you to hurt other people. See, how you have a holy heart is receiving the grace of God and trying to do the best you can, but really loving others and treating them right. I, I said I was going to come back to something. Let, let me share something. I was uh, I was watching uh, my brother Stephen and, and him and his uh, fiance. They, they had a photo shoot that was amazing. I, I haven't seen all the pictures, but it looked amazing. And 
me and me and Devin were in Indianapolis and we, we, we got some time away. And just the simple thought was like, man, my, my brother gets to go and have this photo shoot. And me and Devin can barely scrape time together. Not because we don't love each other, but because I got a pastor. I got to do this. I got to work. Like if I, if I, if I had more money, I would. So in other words, I was thinking this process and before long, I was about to get jealous of somebody else's blessing. I had to, I had to quickly rein myself in to know, God, I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you for where I am. See, that's a heart matter because nobody would have ever known those things were going on in my mind, but I felt it and I knew within a few more thoughts I was going to switch over into jealousy. And here's the thing, social media can make you jealous than anything else because you get to compare it. But when you compare what God is doing in somebody else's life or what they're lying about, because some of that stuff ain't true, they're just lying you mad about something somebody lying about. Well, they always on vacation. Yeah, but they $45,000 in debt too. So no, be, be grateful what God is doing in your life. And a holy heart says, I'm not going to be jealous. God, thank you. Thank you that I get a chance to pastor. Thank you that I get a chance to do this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not going to be mad. But guess what? It's not always easy. You have to force yourself. But that's having a holy heart. Let's look at verse Two, it says this, like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. The reason why y'all been sitting through this series about the heart that ain't about a happy message, ain't about blessing, is because y'all crave, crave new milk. Y'all crave deep stuff. I don't want no just run-of-the-mill message. God, give me something deep. My heart craves it. Why? Because you have a holy heart. Last verses, First Peter 2, 3. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Final verse. But you are not like that. I'm dropping down. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. Or King James says royal priesthood. A holy nation. King James has a peculiar people, God's very own possession. And normally when we preach that, we stop there. But look at what the rest of it says. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Yes, go ahead and clap for that. We can stand to our feet and I... I'll make my, my final note, the final thing I want to share with you. The reason why we want a holy heart is because it's from that heart, like we talked about with a generous heart, that's how we help other people. That's how we stay loving other people and happy for other people and wanting the best for other people. So God, I'm using your righteousness to invade my heart. So that I can love other people and show them how good you are. Not by me dotting every I and crossing every T. But by me just open up and saying, God, I need you. And God, if you will come and help me, I promise you, I will go and help somebody else. Let's bow our heads. God, a holy heart is a heart set apart for you. Set apart for your use. Not just for our own righteousness, but so that we can minister to others.
that we can make others know you have paid for us all. So God, don't allow us to let anything in our heart that will contaminate us from the core. Let us be very diligent about what we let in our heart because there are people in the world who need somebody to love them. And if our hearts are unholy, who would ever love them? So God, cleanse us so that we can give that cleansing to somebody else. And God, we will forever give you the praise in Jesus' name. And let somebody say, amen, amen. God bless you all. Much love to you. Have a wonderful week.